this morning's reading is taken uh, from the uh, Peter's first letter, and it's chapter 3, beginning at verse 15. Uh, it's on page 1219 in the Church Bibles. It's a very, very short reading, so I'm going to read it twice, so that those of you who are trying to find it in the Bible will have found it at least by the second time I start. So it's 1 Peter, chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Let me read that again. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Nice to see you. Welcome back and welcome if you're here for the first time. My name is Rupert and I'm the vicar of St. Michael's. And today we're picking up our sermon series, which is about telling others about Jesus. And a fortnight ago, I was talking about why do we dare to? And today I want to talk about how to prepare to. So let's pray first. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence with us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be able to speak into our lives this morning. We pray you'd have access to our hearts and that you would draw us close to you and give us confidence in this whole task of sharing our love for Jesus and your love for us. Help me as I speak in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how, how do you feel about this whole task of telling others about Jesus? You might be reassured to know that the Archbishop of Canterbury feels it's a very difficult task. Let me read you something he wrote a few years ago. We need a fierce determination not to let evangelism, telling others about Jesus, be squeezed out of our agendas or off our agendas. At times I feel it's rather like me when I have to write a difficult letter or make an awkward phone call. Even things like ironing my socks become more attractive. Well, I didn't know that he did iron his socks, but there we are. I reckon, at a guess, that most of us would be saying to ourselves that if there was a report written about us, like a school report, on this business of sharing our faith, we would expect to be written, and we'd probably say ourselves, I think I would, room for improvement. 
And here's some encouragement before we start. We can improve at this. We can get better at it. Now, I think I'd find it helpful if we could have that verse from, that's the one. So, just notice who's writing this sentence of advice, that in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that is in you. Peter's writing it. And if there's something I can tell you about Peter, and it's something you already know, it's that he made a complete hash of talking to others about Jesus. Three times, we're told, he was given an opportunity, okay, not in the most friendly of circumstances, but he was given an opportunity. Someone went up to him and said, hey, you were with that Jesus guy, weren't you? And he said, no. Then someone else said, surely, yeah, yeah, sure you were, never heard of him. You know, we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. But we also know from the book of Acts that he was to become a wonderfully effective witness to Jesus Christ. And now in his old age, he's writing in this letter and he's saying, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. So clearly he improved, his track record got better. And I'm just saying way up front, we can improve. You may feel that you're pretty rubbish at this, but we can improve. And here's, we're just going to lean into the advice that he gives us. Because I think they are, if we do follow his advice, we will find our effectiveness about telling others goes up. If you're going to summarize his talk, it could be done in two words. Be prepared. Be prepared. Apparently, a very common recurring dream slash nightmare that people have, very common, is seeing themselves in an exam hall, taking an exam, totally unprepared. And uh, this reoccurs throughout their lives, this dream, probably because it's a very common experience. And of course, if you're not prepared for an exam, the last thing you want is the exam. And it's much like that. If you're not prepared with this task of telling others, the last thing you ever want is an opportunity to tell others. So how do we prepare and what will help us? That's what I want to talk about now. And it may surprise you the steps that I think we see here that we should take in preparation. And the first one is this. Before you even think of opening your mouth, open your heart. Before you open your mouth, step one is to open your heart. Verse 15, right at the beginning, my version actually is slightly different. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. But it doesn't mean much difference from revere Christ as Lord. But that's something only you can do for yourself. And I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. But no inquiry about your faith is going to be a welcome inquiry if you're not sure of your standing with Jesus Christ. But if you follow Christ and if you've made him your Lord, you already are lit by the light of the world. And so you can expect questions will follow. And the thrust of the whole of Peter's letter is that your lifestyle will give you away. We all bear witness to something. You know, it, it, it's 
such a common thing. You think of the people you spend your time with, people that you rub shoulders with regularly, maybe people in your office, maybe your family members, uh, maybe your neighbours, your street, but there will be some people that you, know, you see a lot in your life. And the chances are you already know what their main interests are in life. You know what, where they spend their time, you know what makes them tick. And if people are spending time with you and you are a follower of Christ, they know already a little bit about what makes you tick. They will be picking up the clues bit by bit by bit. We'll see, it doesn't mean you can get away with saying nothing, but already your light is shining. But you can't sidestep this first step because you're going to feel dreadful if you haven't decided that you're following Christ and someone asks you a question. No question is going to be welcome about your faith if you haven't decided that. But I'll give you a lovely example of someone who is just routinely living out their day and because they were a follower of Christ, this actually is what happened. And this concerns, it's a true story about a friend of mine uh, called Mick. He was a very good friend and very sadly he died unexpectedly when he was in his early 40s. But Mick was an insurance broker and he worked at Lloyd's. And so if you're an insurance broker, broker working in Lloyd's, you spend quite a lot of time walking around the streets of London going in and out of that building. And it was towards the end of his working day and he was just going through one of the buildings in one of the doors in Lloyd's. And in those days, they used to have uniformed people working as kind of sort of security guards, but sort of welcoming. And, and they stand out by their red coats. And as he brushed past one, he saw a conversation going on. And, and this guy was explaining to two Americans that he was very sorry, but no, they couldn't come in and tour the building because it was one minute past five and they closed the visitors at five o'clock. So they'd have to come back another day. And my friend Mick was just walking in. He'd never seen these two Americans before, but he thought, oh dear, well, that's not great, is it? And so he said, just a spur of a second decision, he, he just said, oh, look, be my guests. Uh, I'll take you in. I'm a member of Lloyd's, so I'm allowed to do that. I'll, I'll give you tea. Come with me. And he gave him a guided tour of a whole of Lloyd's, took them out for tea, and then showed them out and walked them to the tube at the end. And that, that was, we'd never know anything about that. Except that on the following Sunday, uh, as was his habit, Mick went to his local church with his wife, with his children, and uh, they invited the children up, I think, to the front, and Mick went on the stage to do the actions. And it was then that someone sitting in the congregation heard this conversation. Two guests in the congregation that morning, those two Americans, one nudged the other and said, look, it's the angel. And what had happened was at the end of their day, they'd, they'd gone back to their hotel room, they'd had a conversation, they just said to each other, what was going on that that man should be so kind to us, that he appeared from nowhere, that he gave us tea, that he, he showed us around the whole building and then he walked us to the tube. What kind of person does that? That must have been an angel. But on that Sunday, they realized, no, it wasn't an angel, it was a Christian just living out his daily life. And which is to say, just simply in the course of your day, 
If you're following Christ, if you set aside Christ as Lord, you will be bearing witness to him in ways you probably take for granted. I, I know that, um, and this is somewhat a shocking story when I reflect on it, I know that when I uh, stopped being an insurance broker, uh, to some extent my cover was blown that I was leaving to go and get ordained because there was a big message put on my desk, written large in felt tip pen in his open plan office, the Bishop of London would like you to ring him back. And of course, everyone else in the office thought, oh, what's that about? And, and it soon got out. And then I resigned, served up my notice, and all sorts of remarks were made. And one of them was one of my uh, fellow workers said, ah, so that's why you don't tell lies to underwriters. I, I mean, no self-respecting insurance broker should be telling lies to underwriters anyway. But the point was, uh, things get noticed that you just would take for granted. But a cautionary word, your, your presence and your behavior won't be enough. You will have to be prepared to say something. And that's borne out by a very ironic situation that I read about, and it's true, of a young person working in a company for many, many years, and they became a Christian. And then they started to witness to their colleagues and to their amazement and delight, the manager revealed that he too was a believer. At which point this person said, well, I never knew that. And for years I've been saying to myself, if someone can be as decent and nice as Mr. Smith without being a Christian, I really don't see why I should become one. So we can't just think we'll cruise through without actually saying something. But the number one qualification without question is to prepare your heart. Set apart Christ as Lord. And then be prepared. Now, what does that mean? I think there are at least two meanings to this word, be prepared. I think the first meaning, which might escape us, is be prepared on any occasion and every occasion to witness your love for Christ. In the years before I became a Christian, I went to uh, chapel at school for years and years, five years. And I sat through endless sermons, of which I can only really remember two. And one of the stories that I remember in this sermon was a story that comes from R Romania. It was told by a pastor called Richard Vermbrandt. And he told us a story that in the days of communist oppression, and persecution, a load of uh, policemen suddenly burst into a congregation, just like this. And they took off the wall a picture, an icon of Jesus, and they put it onto a chair at the front of the church, at the center of the aisle. And two of, of the policemen stood with their guns at the front, and they commanded, uh, ordered, that the congregation could, should file to the front and spit on this picture, which they then did, except for a, a young girl who knelt in front of the icon and wiped away all the spittle. She was prepared to witness in any and every situation. And to my embarrassment and somewhat shame, I realize there are many, many situations in the past where I have opted out 
of coming clean when the price was so much less than that? I mean, I'll give you one, one illustration. Again, it's back from the days when I worked in the city. I, and I got seconded to um, a unit in Reading for a period, just a week, I think. And I would catch a train to Reading, and then this um, member of a company in Reading would pick me up in his car from a station and drive off to where we were to work. And on the very first day this happened, uh, you know, you've got to imagine a young 22-year-old Rupert jumps in the car, senior colleagues there, we're driving along, and I sort of hear this familiar tune through his stereo system. And for a while, it doesn't sort of work out, but I think, oh yeah, I, I think I've heard that before. A little bit later, I'm thinking, that, that's the melody of a worship song, isn't it? But there are no words going on, it's just a song. And then along comes the next track, and I think, yeah, that, is, that definitely is one of the songs that we sing in church. And then along comes the next track, and it's yet another worship song. But I look at him, and he doesn't say anything to me, and we just carry on. And the whole week, the journey's like that, and we are working cheek by jowl throughout the whole week, and we don't say a thing about our faith. And I did think over the weeks that followed, that, that's really curious. And then, one, off, one lunchtime, I remember walking into the lift of this quite tall building, just, it was on a Tuesday, and I looked in, and there was one other person in the lift, and it was this guy from Reading. I can't remember his name, but we'll call him Nigel. And this time I'm determined not to blow it. And I don't know why, in a moment of recklessness, I just said to him, Nigel, I'm on my way to St. Helens Bishopsgate for their lunchtime talk. Would you like to come? And he roared with laughter and said, yes, I'd love to come. And all the way walking there, I said, you know, were you trying to signal something when you were putting that cassette in the car and we listened to that music? He said, yes, yes, of course I was, but I was just too shy to say anything. And I was too shy to say anything, and we completely blew it. I mean, how stupid is that? And what was the price that made us blow it? N you know, it was next to nothing. We weren't talking about wiping spittle off the face of Christ in the, in, within a firing range of a gun. It's so easy, it's so easy just to let chances go by. And Peter, who knew to his cost that he'd done this in the past, says, don't do that. Don't do that. Always be prepared. I've reflected on this a lot. There is never a bad time to talk about Jesus Christ. Sometimes they're more costly than others, for sure. But there's never a bad time but this is the other sense in which we should be prepared. Be prepared in what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Now, I've got to be selective in what I say in this talk because, you know, one could write a book about this and give many, many talks. But I'm going to pick out just, just some highlighted things I think will be helpful to us. And what I've already said should be helpful is both the style and the substance that matters. One of the reasons that we get put off this task of sharing our faith and don't do it, and one of the reasons that people who are not believers get put off by people who are trying to share their faith is we fail to listen well enough to the people who we're going to talk to. So my next tip is also surprising. If rule number one is before you open your mouth, open your heart, 
Rule number two is before you speak, listen. Open your ears. Because when we get this bit wrong, we get a bad name and Jesus gets a bad name. It's very like people who barge into your life and insist on talking to you about something that bores you silly. Let's say Formula One or cricket or you know, their favorite sport. But they go on talking all the same. And after a while you just think, what brought this on? I never asked for this. And, and you really want to walk away. And I tell you what does bring it on. It's talked like this. You know, if, if you hear this wrongly, you go away feeling that your arm has been wrenched behind your back and you really have an obligation because you've been silent in, about your faith for 20 years. So suddenly you, I'm going to use a horrible phrase for a horrible habit, suddenly you vomit the gospel over someone who never wanted it in the hope that you'll feel better. And of course you don't. You need and I need to listen carefully first to where people are coming from so we don't alienate them. And so also we talk at the right pitch. And I'm gonna share with you a concept which I've found really helpful with this. If you want a name for it, because it's not a Rupert original thought, this is called the Engels scale. Um, and you're gonna use your imagination here. So we're gonna imagine that I'm standing at minus 10. And that the microphone is naught, and it's gonna be plus 10 on the other side of the stage. Now, you move let's say to this place now they've heard about Jesus but they've got lots of questions and there are lots of questions you know how can you believe in a God of love when there's so much suffering aren't all religions the same what about those who have never heard can God possibly love me and then you're getting to a place of naught where the person has now heard about Jesus they've considered his life They've had not all their questions answered, but quite a few of their questions answered. And they actually know enough that they can decide that yes, they are going to trust Jesus with their life and make a decision to do that. 
And that is zero in the game. Because now there's going to be a lifelong adventure of actually following Christ. And it's what we call discipleship. It's, it's going to be learning the tools of a trade. It's going to be learning obedience. It's going to be being filled with the spirit and being changed from the inside out. And that's what the majority of us are engaged in. But the kind of conversation you have with someone who's at minus 10 is very different, or it should be, from the kind of conversation that you have with someone who's dithering around the north area. And it's a huge mistake to do two things. It's a huge mistake to think you're a failure if you've never led anyone in the zone of naught. Because most people make a long journey from minus 10 or minus five, and it might be one conversation that you have of a very short nature, but it's all part of a process. This really is teamwork. That's, that's why on Wednesday, you know, we, we've got this guest supper here, and we deliberately, very deliberately, we, we're positioning the guest supper at sort of minus five. You know, it's for people who really don't know much about anything, but they know you, and because they like you and you've got credibility in their life, they're saying, well, I can give one evening to listen to what they think. And it's a low cringe evening, it's a high content evening, and it gives them time to go away and think, and maybe next year they'll think, hmm, I, I, I wouldn't mind giving nine evenings or whatever it is, and I'll do this funny thing called the Alpha Course. You know, it's honoring people where they are. And suddenly you realize this whole job of sharing our faith is much easier than we thought because we're not trying to bludgeon anywhere they don't want to go. We're trusting that Jesus himself will do the drawing and draw people to himself. I think for years, what made me seriously angry, cheesed off with Christians, was they kept talking to me as if I was at the zone of giving my life to Christ. I was trying to signal to them, leave me alone for goodness sake. I want a quiet life. I don't want to hear about your religion. And every time they tried to push me in a direction I didn't want to go, I, I just was alienated. Believe me, God is making enough people interested in him uh, that you and I will never be out of work. And this church will, will never be full to bursting and the danger of there's no one else to come in because... God himself provokes people to want to find him. Our job is to be sensitive, to be ready to share appropriately. And then we need to prepare in this. Just prepare what you'd like to share when you get the opportunity. You won't get far in sharing until you can say the name of Jesus without blushing. I worked this one out years ago, and it bothered me, because I couldn't say the name of Jesus without blushing to myself in the mirror, <laughs> and, and, and hesitating, and so I decided, for however long it would take, that every day when I was shaving, I would practice saying the name of Jesus until it sounded normal. You know, it is necessary, you've got to get his name out there, and then Think about how you will share the good news. Now, there are countless ways of sharing the good news, and I can't go into all of them at all. But as I've already said, telling a story about Jesus will be helpful. My 
my best tip for you would be think about for yourself personally what is it about Jesus that you find winsome and it might be something he did it, it might be a conversation that he had it might be uh, something that he preached but something that means something to you and then you can put it in the form of a question to someone else you, you can say you know what fascinates me about Jesus is I just simply didn't know what to make of someone who could walk on water someone who could heal the blind someone who could cast out demons someone who could feed 5,000 people and you probably take all those things for granted but the person you're talking to their eyes will get wider and wider and they'll say what someone did that we talk about a person and then we talk about something that he did and it may be his forgiveness is what appeals to you it, it may be the cross what was going on then maybe that someone loved you enough to die for you it may be the resurrection but you need to be able to tell a story about what Jesus has done I know when I got challenged by a friend to read an account of Jesus's life and notice I say that I don't say read a gospel but to read an account of Jesus's life and they directed me to what we know as John's gospel and it was an enormous surprise to find that Jesus wasn't boring. You know, I'd sat through these sermons and they were all boring. So I thought Jesus would be. I just thought, you know, when Jesus talks, it's going to be like, amen. And it wasn't. And it isn't. And I was amazed at how direct he was. I was amazed at how clear he was about who he thought he was. And by the end of reading this short little book, I had to make a decision. What do you think of Jesus? The person who told me to read John's Gospel had done a good job. That was all they had to do. All we have to do is lead people one step along the line. Think about how Jesus changed your life. I'm not going to spend much time on this. But your story is very powerful. Scripture actually tells us that talks about the spiritual battle and it says they overcame him which is Satan through the blood of a lamb e.g. through what Jesus had done and through their testimony e.g. through their witness because they loved not their lives even unto death they were faithful and I absolutely am sure that your story of how Jesus captured you with his love or won you with his love is a powerful and compelling story and you don't need to embellish it. It's integrity that gives our stories power. You know, I, I know exactly how it works out here, that we've all probably heard those incredible testimonies where someone stands up and, and they say, you know, I, first of all, I was a shoplifter and then I was a uh, murderer and, and then I embezzled money from a bank, and then I did drugs. And then one night I had a dream and I woke up and I'm a Christian. And, you know, and all of us go, oh, incredible, glad I'm only meeting you now. And, um, and, and we kind of think, you know, sometimes we're tempted to think that if our testimony is quiet and docile, it's less powerful. But I know as a parent that what I've prayed for my children is 
that their story would be as boring as it can get, I want them to say, there never was a time when I didn't know Christ. I do not want to have to live through them saying, I was a drug addict and then I was an embezzler and then I murdered my grandmother or, you know, it's integrity. It's integrity that counts. It is. I think one of the most moving testimonies, I still get moved thinking about it, was hearing um, a student talk when I was at a staff meeting in a former job in Oxford. Um, the vicar said, we, I need a volunteer to go into a school to tell their story. And the little student team, about six of them, all burst into laughter and said, ha ha, Jane, that's your, that's your cue, you go and do it. And, and Jane went bright red, looked at the floor, and looked like she wanted the world to swallow her up. And I didn't know what the story was or the joke was, but at the end of the meeting, I felt really badly for this young girl and I, and I found her out and I said Jane I would like to hear your story I don't know why they were mocking you it's very clear they were but I, I would like to hear your story and uh, I took her out for a cup of tea and she said well this is my story and this is why they're mocking me really she said then when I was three I was playing with my best friend in the kitchen and we were playing at being mummies and we were mopping the floor and my best friend said, Jane, is Jesus a friend of yours? And I said, no. And she said, well, he's a best friend to me. Would you like him to be your friend? And Jane said, yes. And she said, and I prayed, and he's been my friend ever since. Well, if your heart doesn't melt at that story, you need prayer ministry. You know, that's a sweet story. That's a gorgeous story. And the reason it has clout and punch is because it's a true story. And your story has integrity when you tell it as it was. And it's powerful. God has made us this way. Well, as I wrap up, I just got two um, closing pieces of advice. Hard to prepare well. Very short. Pray. Pray for opportunities. I, I remember hearing someone preach from this pulpit, well, that pulpit, actually, and say, you get as many opportunities as you pray for. And I thought, really? And I have found that when you pray for opportunities, you do get them. And I, don't, I just don't know if that's because God ramps up the number of opportunities that come your way or if it's because you become more sensitive to the opportunities that were there anyway. Maybe it's a bit of both. But I'm, I'm so sure that if we start praying for opportunities, they will happen. So pray, and then the other bit is practice and persevere. Never give up. You know, if there's a crossover, and I think there is, between the image that Jesus uses of saying to Simon Peter, from now on you'll be a fisher of men. If there's a crossover between being a fisherman and a fisher of men, one of the crossover points has to be that fishermen never give up, do they? When they go fishing and they don't catch anything, all that happens is they go fishing the next day with more expectation. And fishermen, by and large, 
don't spend a lot of time talking about the fish that they didn't catch. And sometimes evangelists, uh, 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 we're too quick to talk about the ones we did catch and we don't come clean about the many, many times we tried to share our faith and it didn't seem to bear much fruit. Just never, never give up. That is part of what it means to be faithful to this commission that Jesus gives us. Well, I hope that something of what I've said is helpful to you and it has been to me as I've reviewed it to think of how we share our faith. We're putting our heads together to try and think how we do this more effectively as a church because we don't want to let it slip off the task that Jesus has given us to do, which is why, which is why we're having this guest supper on Wednesday. And, and I do hope that you've just about got time to sneak in uh, and register that you want to come if you want to come because tonight is the last time you can do that. And we have just under 40 people coming, I think, at the moment. So as I issued this invitation, it's not out of desperation. It's just saying, come, because if you can experience what we're putting on, then in a few months' time or a year's time when we do it again, you will have more confidence to bring your friends. And, and it's a very easy way of getting people towards the gospel. Similarly, next Sunday morning, both at 9 o'clock is a guest service, and Mark Beard will be speaking at that, and 11 o'clock there's a guest service, and a friend called Phil Lawson Johnson will be speaking at that. And they're going to be talking about the difference it makes to life when you know God. And it's just going to be a very simple invitation. You know, you will have friends who would like to know the difference it could make to life if they knew God. At Christmas, there'll be an, a carol service. That too will be pitched at this level because we want to make Jesus accessible to people, don't we? And we're all in this together. It is a team game. Let, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we think of this advice from Peter, always be prepared. Always be prepared to, to share the reason that you have for the hope and do it with gentleness and respect. And Lord, we pray that we'd have clarity in our own hearts and minds that you are the Lord, so that we don't become evasive when people want to talk about faith. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make us sensitive and gentle while being bold as well and not missing the opportunities. Father God, we say to you, we want to be obedient to your commission and to try all over again to reach out with the gospel. We pray your hand of blessing upon us as your family as we hold these different events. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring the hungry, you'd bring those who are searching for you, you'd bring those who are wounded and losing heart to connect with your love and to be changed from the inside out. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your love found us when we were far away. And we pray you do it many, many, many times again and again and again that your kingdom will come. 
In Jesus' name, amen.